if you want to sell and you're quite the shy type, you can sit behind a keyboard. It's not necessarily the most effective, but it's the most efficient for your personality type. Episode 165 with Richard Moore. Richard originally worked 60-hour weeks in the city of London before deciding to build his own business to help others do the same thing. Making money online, having some sort of an entrepreneurial spirit is, I think, absolutely key in most aspects of self-development. In the same way that the gym is a battleground for the body and mind, business, I believe, is a battleground where your body and mind get tested as well as with your spirit. And with democratized technology like the internet, it's literally never in history been easier and more accessible to make money. Whether you're already a business owner or don't even have your side hustle yet, this is the episode to listen to. And if you learn anything, if anything to you sticks out, take a screenshot, go ahead on Instagram, put this up on your story, make sure you tag me, at Mark Metry, make sure you tag Richard, at the.richard.more, and enjoy. So Richard, the first question that I like to ask my guests is how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? Yeah, uh, wow, good question. Um, I, I'm thrilled to be able to say that I spend the time doing things by design that I, I really do want to do. I'm so thrilled to be in that position because eight years ago I really wasn't. And now I'm in a place where uh, I choose the design of each day of the week. A Monday today is a perfect example of that. I got up at the time I wanted to have breakfast with my two girls, take them to school and nursery, have coffee with my wife, and then do my uh, 114th episode of my of my live stream across three platforms with all my wonderful friends jumping in, just like you know with with the podcast, Mark. And then, and then I spend a good hour or so doing content uh, production. I, I cannot get enough of it. And I've just done back-to-back calls with epic people. So set up a deal, um, uh, closed nice. someone, uh, finalized a uh, charity for my next event. And then at this podcast, and I've got one more after this before dinner with the family. So it's that kind of thing. And, and it's variety, but along those parameters every day, I'm a very lucky guy to be able to say that. I literally just got so excited for you, man. <laughs> Thanks. It's been a lot of work getting there. It did not happen overnight, but it's pleasing to be had to say that. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into it, man. Let's uh let's go deep. So um what kind of kid were you like growing up and were there any particular circumstances that shaped you for who you are today? Yeah, um I, I, I like kind of delving back into that this because it's something that across your life you kind of you go through moments where you're like am I proud of that am I not proud of that and as a child I was uh, I had a very a very linear upbringing so my both my parents were teachers um, uh, one physics and one uh, primary school and it was very much like 
you will this was the 80s remember as well so you will get an education you will go to university and you will get a arbitrary suit wearing job in london get married mortgage pension and so on and it's a very linear kind of direction and that's fine but as a child i was uh, i was outrageously oxymoron outrageously introverted i was really really shy and I um, was not the life and soul. And I was uh, in my in my kind of first 10 years, I was quite a shy, wussy whippet of a boy. So not good at sports, kind of average at school. I was a good boy, but that was about it. Um, I would be in like the top third of the class, but nothing spectacular. In uh, secondary school, I just I started finding my natural self which was because um, I we moved house a couple of times. but And so I met different people. But I I found my natural self, which was a massive, massive geek. And there's a moment that really summarizes it. When I was about 14, I moved to this new uh, to this new county. And so I had only a few friends. I'd only be and imagine this being 14. Think about that age as a teenager and having to make new friends. Pretty tough because everyone's got their friends and that. And so I got in with a, a crowd that suited me. And I remember looking out the window at lunchtime at school and seeing all these people outside playing football. And I was in the IT lab programming my first operating system. So it kind of gives you a view of the kind of guy I was. And my friends and I would go. This was like, so this is 1994. We would go to um, computer fairs. At the weekend, see, I would never have admitted this in the past, and so now I'm fine doing it. Um, and we would buy old bits of junk and build computers. And we would, we were, the, you know, the first modems, first times going online. So I really grew up as a teenager as the internet was almost nothing. Mm-hmm. But um, but in those years, you know, I, I I I really got geeky. I got into kind of hardware. I built my first computer and sold it. So that was a very interesting moment for me. And that was kind of a a taste of that back of the net feeling. And I thought, hang on, I really love this. And and I remember my, my uncle was a very big, I was just turned 60 and he now lives in Australia. He was a very big influence in my life. And he uh, was a co-owner of a business. And I remember thinking, and I reckon I must have been in my mid early teens thinking I'd love to be my own boss uh, and run my own thing one day. And so even back then, that's, we're talking over 20 years ago, um, there was this kind of vibe about that. So as a, as a child, I was an introvert and I was a geek. I was a, I was a computer nerd. And um, I'm so pleased that I kind of straight stayed true to that rather than when I should be outside playing football. You know what I mean? There was that vibe of I should be out there. But I, I thought, but I, I kind of like it in here. And that was, that that's that matters, uh, you know, hearing yourself and reacting in the right way. You know, Richard, out of hearing all these different stories, I think that's really a differentiating factor. You know, for me, at least, I was kind of doing my own thing, but I always kind of felt like I was... Um, you know, like it was alone and never really got normalized for me. And in turn, you kind of feel like there's something wrong with you. And, you know, that that pushes you to different things. And, you know, at the end of the road, it it causes you to do amazing stuff when you look back at it. But I think that's really an exceptional route. So Richard, so you go from this shy, introverted geek, you're, you're building, selling computers. Yeah. What happens? What happens? You, you go off to new university. Are you still in the kind of IT technology section or, or, or what happens? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what, what, what stands out is that, is that led to being a researchy kind of person. And it's interesting that I did very well in my 
first load of, of exams, but then you have your final exams that are known as A-levels here before you go to university. And I completely flunked them, completely bombed out. And that was a really pivotal moment. In hindsight, I had a really tough time because my, my older sister was straight A student. Like, you know, some people will get A's through hard work. Some people get A's through just effortlessly hadn't and just had to happen to get A's. So she went to Oxford and all that kind of stuff. But, and so big shoes to fill. And uh, I remember um, because I flunked, I managed to only scrape into a very low end university. So I went anyway, rather than kind of take the exams again, I went anyway. And I, I was like, this is a new time. This is about you. No one knows who you are. You can start out. And there was a, a, there's these moments. It's so interesting when you reflect. There's another moment was the first day of university. And, um, you know, they said, welcome to the kind of the new year. This was all of social sciences. So like uh, philosophy and history, because I was a history degree and all that kind of stuff. And they said, we're going to need someone to represent all the student body in the Senate and that. Uh, and uh, is anyone interested? And I just went like this. And, I'm, and part of me was going, uh, what the hell did you just do? And then and from then it was uh, uh, the yes man saying yes to stuff. And I don't know what made me do it because it wasn't my style. But from then I was like, I'm not going to take this lying down. I'm not going to be a crap student who doesn't achieve anything. And that three year degree was about proving a point that I may be at a crappy university or not as good a university, but I'm going to destroy it. So I, I like came top of the year, the following year in my exams. And then I went to another degree. So I went to one of the top universities after that. It was, was one of the most expensive points I ever proved. I did not need to go, but I was like, I will take a bank loan out and go on another degree because I want to, it to be this was my university. Do you see what I mean? So I was like, I'm going to do a, a post-grad degree and I'm going to go and do that. And um, uh, so I'm really pleased I did. So it was it was like a kind of owning the trajectory was important. I'm pleased at the time I had that. But it was difficult, man, because there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, like pressure. My 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 mum was like, you, you know, you've got to succeed. You've got to make this happen. And your sister's done well. And it, it, you know, she's my absolute hero. But she also pushed me hard. So in the time at the moment, in those moments, it's really, really difficult to go through because um, there was no one kind of like gently supporting me it was like make it work make it happen it was that kind of attitude so um yeah. that kind of hardened me up quite a bit i think hmm. Hmm. so so what happens after you um graduate from from university what's your what's your work life looking like that you know yeah. going back to even what you said as a kid is you know i want to be my own boss right yeah so yeah it was a really interesting thing because i wanted to do uh uh, I wanted to be in the geeky space. And actually, when I did, when I was at the second university, I fell in love with the research and the data and all that. I was doing this history masters and I was mm. crunching data on this really interesting topic area. And mm. the short version was I was trying to get funding for a PhD. I wanted to do my doctorate and then write books and be a lecturer and be an academic for the rest of my life. Because mm. I, I, I fell in love with the dusty libraries and the, you know, like being up 11 o'clock at night in, you know, when people are in the bars, I was researching. So I had no problem with putting myself through hard work and I really enjoyed that, but I didn't get funding. And that pivotal moment meant that I had to get a job. And my mum famously said, just so you know, you're not coming home. And I went, okay. So I have to work then. And, she, and it, was, it was, again, really good. She like nudging me out of the mess. So I, I, I love that she did that. So I had to get a job 
And the first interview I got, I didn't even know what the job was, was <laughs> selling. This was 2002 into 2003 was selling Internet marketing. That's a long time ago. And yeah. uh, and, and I that you know, it was like the easiest interview. The questions like, I mean, are you motivated by money? I'm like, well, obviously, I've got like a lot of debt to pay off. And I yeah, I'm up for it. And um, so I, I took the job. It was a, a phone based selling job. So all day long, smashing the phones. And I was selling marketing to CEOs in industry companies. It was companies who worked in shipbuilding. So they're like, mm. really? The internet? Are you serious? So it's quite fun to try and sell. So I learned a lot about selling then. And yeah. um, and so I, I, I thought, well, I'll go back and do the PhD in, 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 in the same amount of time. But then, and now I'm almost 38, you know, time goes past. You just can't, you know, you can't help yourself when things go well. And and the short version is that, that in the first couple of weeks, I just, I knew how to work hard and I outperformed everyone around me. I worked my face off and I, my memory then was, like 10 11 o'clock at night writing up leads to pitch the next day because i couldn't let anyone down i had no real salary it was like fifteen thousand quid which is a tiny salary i was living in london which was expensive my mum was like go make it happen that your sister's doing a great job kind of thing so i was like there's no quitting or failure it's force it to work and um so what i did have if i didn't have uh, ability i did have energy and I had attitude and I had hard work on my side. So that's what I gave it. And I don't think I looked up for like four months. I just just like running through walls for that job. And at the time I was like, I was smashing. I was doing really well. I was making sales straight away because I, I think I had good empathy for people. And I understood them on the phone rather than just reading a script. There was a bit more depth to it. But because I was that geek, I was, I was kind of, enjoying learning around the subject and engaging with people on, on a kind of a business level too. And um, it's interesting because that it just, it, it took me by surprise that I could do it. Um, and suddenly it start, started feeling quite romantic. And I think it's just because I was in a role where um, it was just phone based selling, but I was, I was at the sharp end of business. I was with business leaders and learning from them and, and closing stuff and learning all the, the stuff you would normally learn a lot later on. And, um, and, and then it just kind of evolved from there. And I, and I, I really enjoyed the pace. It was nonstop relentlessness. And that's what a 22 year old needs. It, or that's what I needed at least. Yeah. Yeah. So were you that same kind of shy kid or like, yeah. were you, were you dealing with that or like, is that a, a problem that you were feeling like, oh, I want to, I want to, want to call this person or this, or was that just consumed by like the the burn the bridges, burn the boats mentality? Like you've hey, only got one yeah. shot to do this. It's a, it's a, this is such an important point, and I, I want to make sure I articulate this right because I know that the type of person that might listen to this because uh, I encounter them as well. Without question, I had the attitude, but in that moment when you're dialing the number there's the real human, the real person you are that's in there having that voice, the lizard brain as it's known, um, who is just like, but what about if they shout at you? What about if they hunt the phone? And I went through periods of not calling entire countries because I had this problem with like, you know, like in the UK, you call them, they're like, like you're going to try and sell something, aren't you? So put the phone down and, and like, I don't want that. So I would call sometimes obscure countries to kind of, try and keep the comfort zone going i'm still really quite introverted and shy um 
but it was because I was saying the right things and coming at this from a fairly nerdy perspective rather than sounding like a game show host perversely every time that they would warm to me and so it would validate that this approach was working but it took me a long time and I think what's interesting is that I, I was at this kind of there was two types of Richard there was the phone Richard and then there was the one that the moment went down was me again and I would never answer back I'd know you know I would let authority rule and I would defer to my manager and things like that I would never speak out of turn um but I um yeah I, but on the phone I would I would do what I was trained to do and and I would kind of switch off that vibe but when I put down the phone sometimes I'd be like bloody hell that was uh intense you know what I mean and you go home you'd be exhausted mentally because you put yourself through it so I suppose I I had a sense of duty that led me uh yeah. to act in the right way and that overrided my my kind of uh my instinctive urge to clam up and be very scared because i i had to do it and, and i didn't want to get shouted at by man my manager and and some people don't care you know what i mean but i it mattered to me to to be viewed in the right way i, I wanted to please people basically yeah yeah and i mean it's kind of like the way that i hear that is like you're you're like training right like every phone call is like a train not only for like the sales part but for also like getting out of that um introverted maybe a little bit of shy thing so yeah. like, I have a question. Did that also start to transfer over into like your real life when you started to, to talk to people and things like that? Or you no, know, it did. Um, and uh, I think being in London is a really good place to do it because it's a honeymoon after having finished university and moving to uni- moving to a kind of real adult life and things like that. It's a honeymoon that like there was no strings, there's no responsibility, it's just paying rent really and putting food mm-hmm. in your mouth, that's all you have to do, and otherwise it's going out, meeting new people and bars and clubs and people and, and just, just a lot of that and I was carried along the way, I didn't kind of organise nights out but I would always try and show up for them and I think it put me in a place where I got to meet new people and um, yeah, it did carry over and probably when I was 23, 24, I was a I was a bit of a dick at times because I was, you know, making more money than I would be. And, you know, the company had like a Porsche. And if you did well, they'd give you the keys for the weekend and just stuff like that would turn me into a bit. You know, I would be like, I, I own the place, that kind of attitude. <laughs> but, you know, I suppose everyone goes to that for a bit. But it, I think a bit of success, uh, it didn't, I didn't let it go to my head. And uh, it was nice because they, they pivoted me into a manager role, like a team leader role very quickly. And so I, I kind of had to start looking after people and um i think that is where i really learned truly my craft in sales it wasn't just being on the phone it was actually selling to the team to be good and tuning into them and i think the people i i had working for me if you spoke to anything they would they would always say that i cared first and that's the uh that's the difference rather than get on with it get on with it it was uh let me, let me see how i can help and so it did transfer and i think um so what i'm supposed i'm saying is both worlds helped each other you know yeah yeah that's so interesting i'm I'm like currently going through that right now by just like doing the podcast and these yeah. things are transferring over it's crazy man yeah. I, I love how you articulated that that bit's really important because much like when you're speaking to people on the phone or whatever it is in doing your podcast as well and like doing when i do my live show it's it's like you every word you speak is honing your philosophy you know how you feel about stuff, but the more you say it and the more questions you ask and the more shows you do, the more you tune in to exactly how you feel. And you may ask the same question 
25 times, but then it gets nailed so well and you articulate it well and you just get so sure about who you are in your direction. And, and that matters. And that's about having that time on the pitch, isn't it? Bingo. So, Richard, I want to get into, you know, a little bit of the, you know, more nitty and gritty stuff as somebody who has really been, you know, learning sales throughout their entire life, but really got intentional about it only a couple of years ago. It's really interesting, especially from my perspective of coming from sort of an immigrant, not immigrant, introvert background, yeah. also immigrant, but introverted Egypt, background. I think. Is it Egyptian? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, like an introverted background and mm. kind of learning different things. And I really liked what you said about that, the sort of empathizing part about you. Mm. You know, like mm. if you go on Google and you try to search like, yo, how do I learn sales? You're going to get a wide variety of different techniques. Yeah. You're going to get like the the Grant Cardone, like just yeah. cold call and shove it yeah. down. But then like that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. A lot of no, people on the introverted, a little bit of shy side will kind of mm. go with the more empathizing strategy mm. that you did. So like, mm. just talk to me a little bit about like the, the evolution of your sales career and you know, like wh- what are the different elements that you've learned that like at every, you know, you've been doing this for so long at every yeah. stage, like took you to, to a certain level and you think it's the most helpful for people. Yeah, um, first thing is um, you need to get your own voice and you need to train yourself. And that's not just time on the pitch. Uh, One of the best things I did was within six months of the first that first job, I I bought, I dared to spend money on a book about how to sell. Most people are like, Mm. what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Why are you learning? You've done university, but it's important. Then I would go on courses and things like that. So I was constantly geeking up because what that brings is outside or external perspectives that you have to distill and translate Mm. into your world. You're you're so glad you brought this up because the thing is, if you have the game show or used car salesperson approach or the go get it kind of rah, rah, come on, let's go, that does work for some people. And for some people, that's what they need to hear. But they're the people who maybe are leveraging confidence and an extroverted personality to do that. What you need to do is learn that there's something uh, for everyone in selling. And it's a case of saying, what do I need to tap into in order to uh, feel comfortable? People say you should get out of your comfort zone. Yes, but you should sell in your comfort zone, ideally. Mm. And what I mean by that is you need to find the way that works for you. Grant Cardone, if you take as an example, loves getting out of his comfort zone, but he sells in his comfort zone, which is the way he Mm. wants to sell. I mean, that's what gives confidence. Confidence comes from two things. One is knowing what you're talking about with your product, Mm -hmm. but the other one is having a sense of, I believe in my approach rather than my approach is borrowed from someone else. When it's borrowed from someone else, you know you're sounding like someone else, so you can't deliver it in your way because it's not your own. So the way to enable that is to not say like, how do I, not just how do I rephrase things so they sound like they come from me, but what is my actual approach going to be? What's my angle? And here's the thing. The biggest win we've got right now is it's 2018. It's not 2002 anymore. You've got LinkedIn now. You've got emails, a thing that really works. You've got direct messaging. And my point is, you know, the point is that if you if you want to sell and you're quite the shy type, and I know plenty of people who do this, you can sit behind a keyboard. It's not necessarily the most effective way of selling, but it's the most efficient for your personality type. 
you could lift the phone, but you're going to have massive rings of sweat under your armpits and you're going to feel mm. terrible and you're going to do whatever it takes to avoid that. So it's far better is to say, what does my craft need to look like? Uh, you know, how, how do I approach people? And just say to yourself, like, if I am point A and my prospect is point B and I need to create a reason why they want to speak to me, and I'm talking about the hardest stuff now, Mark, with this is going to people completely cold, then how do you do it? And do you know what? You've already got the answer, which is the fact that you're human means you can be social and done right. You can you can you can access people in conversations that that will help you. And when I cracked this, it started this. this you've asked for a moment or things that were pivotal. When I realized that asking someone in a, in, a, in a really clever way to speak to you when they don't know who the hell you are is really difficult. And it tends not to work unless you've got the confidence and don't care about being rejected. Far better for me was to say, where's the leverage? How do I create a situation where they want to speak to me? Well, they no CEO or managing director wants to speak to you about internet marketing because that's like, that's what their marketing team does. They don't want to do that. So how do I get in touch with them? Well, in the social world, if I approach someone at a bar and say hi, barriers go up, right? Because they are conditioned to think, like, who the hell is this person? It's protective. Mm. We, we're tribal. We don't know someone out of our tribe, so we don't know if they're predatory or something like that. So if you look at it in terms of behavioral work, uh, work what you do is you say, well, what would validate me to that person is perhaps a mutual contact. If I said hi to someone in the bar, you don't know me, but I know your friend, John. They're like, oh, how are you? And the ice breaks. Something similar in sales can work. And so what I started doing was I was leveraging other connections. I would look to any of the customers we've got and I'd say, I know that person and they've got a connection here and I would leverage that in my way in. And people were like, oh, you're in the inside was, the, was their response. Yeah, happy to speak to you. And that warmth at the start was all I needed to get the ball rolling. If I can translate that to the world we're probably in now, it's, you know, rather than connecting with people cold and trying to spam them because you're going to get shut down, it's it's looking for mutual contacts, you know. Um, mm. Make yourself familiar by stroking their ego. You know, you've got the easiest mm -hmm. win in the world right now where someone produces a bit of content or someone who doesn't produce content who just writes a comment. Go write a reply on that con on that comment and do that several times then decide to go and connect with that person because that because that connection will be accepted because it validates that you've already been speaking with them for a bit so you it's the longer yeah. play but it's so much more effective because it takes longer with each person rather than just dial them up and then picking up the phone and saying hi how can i help but you're more effective because most people with it with the latter approach will just put the phone down again or just say i'll go away do you see what i mean so yeah. the longer warming up approach is now possible because of the platforms and mechanisms we have but you have to do it the right way which is softly softly show interest in them be relatable and bide your time and the thing is yeah it's painful the first couple of weeks you do this kind of thing but after a while they start converting meanwhile you're, you're sowing more seeds and that's how i started my consulting business six seven years back uh and and on on facebook as well you know it was four years ago i was just doing direct messaging showing up in people's posts they mm -hmm. warmed to me then it's a conversation i've not gone near what i what i do what i'm trying to sell them and then naturally, some of the conversations move to a place where I can then sell them. 
And that is what you need to tap into if you're just nervous about selling. Just don't sell. Get social instead. And if you're not, if you're introverted and don't want to get social, just say, well, you know, I'm really impressed with that thing. Sit behind the keyboard for a bit, you know, and that's the safest place for some for some personalities. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if we if we step back a little bit, you know, people people are selling everything, right? Like there's consultancies trying to sell their consultants. There's this person trying to sell this online thing. There's, you know, this person trying to sell a real life thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, step back a little bit and like really understand what you're doing. Like you yeah. you talked about this on your on your website and you were like, if somebody can make an extra hundred dollars, an extra thousand dollars a month and you know, they work at McDonald's and they make yeah. like sixteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah. That is ridiculous. That is so mm-hmm. significant. And it can really motivate somebody to, you know, really use the kinds of exponential technologies that we have today yeah. at their fingertips. Like I think right. uh, Gary V talks about this, but like if you work at a retail job, there's like nobody there. You can just be on your phone like networking on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And build it up. And like, Dude, there's so much dead time, isn't there? There's so much time and you can do that. Or, I mean, his big thing is flipping, which I really yeah. enjoy doing. I used to do it all the time. I, but I, but some people do it with like cheap products. I would do it with hi-fi because I was a big geek. I knew hi-fi. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember once I saw someone did a house clearance and there was this big amplifier that was on for like 70 quid on, or it was the equivalent of Craigslist, but called Gumtree here. And it was like, that's a 250 pound amp there. So I just like, yes, please. And it's like just the feeling when you sell stuff like that is, is fantastic. And, and that can be done so easily. I, I went to a car boot sale yesterday, like just mm. for fun. But my wife and I made a bit of cash, but it's just nice to have, uh, you know, some time in the game. Having stuff and both my daughters now, three and six years old, get it that if they have toys they don't want anymore, they can sell them. And when we like, so we came home and went, here's five quid each that we had from selling your toys. And like, great, we can go and buy something else. So I love that already they're doing that kind of thing. That arbitrage at six is quite impressive. <laughs> That's awesome. And like, the thing is, is that if you understand that, if you understand that, you know, I, th- I know a lot of people, I used to have it, they come from a scarcity, poverty mindset from the way that they grew up and everything. You're like conditioned to like not seek out money, to think yeah. of people that make money as something totally different. But if you drop that a little bit and you like think of your situation right now, like, yo, I'm making $1,600 a month right now. If I made a, an extra $400 and selling a, a fill, flipping something, selling a product, selling a yeah. service, selling, selling something good at, that can make tremendous, tremendous results. And then yeah. once you understand that, it doesn't, like for me at least, when I have a goal, like it doesn't matter what I'm going to do to get there. I know I'm going to yeah. get there. Yeah. That sense of urgency, that sense of thing will enable you to pick up the phone or call this person mm-hmm. or start doing changing your behavior up in a That's different motivator and I, i'm not a, a big motivational person so right. i don't really follow tony robbins and the likes but mm-hmm. but there's one quote he said which is if you aren't doing something that you know you should be doing all it is is the actions you know you with words to the effect of the actions you know you need to take that you know you're not sold on them enough and when you know that you want this thing enough you that will override the fear of taking those actions that's the thing you will lift that phone you will you will have that meeting if you're too comfortable then you won't and i hate comfort that's right. why i try and stay as hungry as possible but you know this is important what you're saying because for for, for not not everyone will want to do flipping and stuff but 
I'm not being promotional here, but, but the course, I, the, the, the Monetize You course of mine is precisely this point because I was getting very concerned with people who were like, buy my course and I'll show you how to make money. But what that course requires the buyer to do is learn how to do a whole new thing. Like, for example, learn how to Forex trade or learn how to trade mm. Bitcoin or whatever it is. That's all well and good. But in order to make that cash, that 400 extra dollars a month, it's like, but now I have to learn this whole skill. And the person who's selling the course can do it, but I now have to do this. The whole point of my course was you already know stuff and it's leveraging that. So I had... Um, a great example was an Uber driver down in the, in Australia. Uh, and he, I remember with, within like a month or so, he'd made, I think it was like $2,100. Uh, and it was, he wanted to be a relationship coach. All his friends always came to him for relationship advice. And he was just like amazing at it. And that, you know, as a course, but also stuff I showed him, it was just like, he just engaged with people in the right way. And it was like, I don't have to be an Uber driver anymore. I can do this now because people are now paying me to talk about the thing I would otherwise be talking about anyway. And it's literally anything like if you're a massive Game of Thrones fan, it's broadcasting the Game of Thrones stuff you're into, getting super geeky about it and charging for it. And like, honestly, I, I had a, there was a 21 year old guy in uh, something like New Jersey, I think he was in, and he was a forex trader. Like he was just starting, but he was actually quite good. And he paid, he got people to pay him. I think it was thirty dollars a month to. He created a closed group on Facebook, and he streamed himself trading. And instead of thinking what he's going to do, he just said it out loud. So they watched him trading. Thirty dollars a month is nothing, but when you've got forty people doing it, so he's doing nothing other than what he would normally be doing. Now 40 people are watching him and that's like and that's recurring payments each month. And it's like, oh, my God, the money was always there. But I think what you said there, Mark, is such an important point because we are so conditioned to have that scarcity mindset. Some of us we're so conditioned to think um, if I want more money, I need to wait till the end of the month or a pay rise or some wonderful thing the government one one day does to help me with lower taxes. And it's it's taking that first step and making something for yourself and then conditioning yourself through doing it again and again, that actually it can be done differently. It takes time, doesn't it? But once you, once you realize that actually you can write your paycheck, if you like, it's, it's a wonderfully liberating feeling. Yeah. It gives you that, um, that chemical hook for the rest of your life. Right before, right before we hopped on this chat, I was talking to this dude, he's, uh, he's now a billionaire and he was just wow. telling me like from the moment he was seven years old and like he, he sold that first cookie, mm. I got him hooked for forever. And like that made him close out billion dollar deals and, and everything. The feeling when you close something, especially when you've worked on something and you're selling or, or like when you've got something at a certain price and sell it for another, the feeling I think for everyone is just amazing when it's yours as well. Like I, 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 I have automated selling through ads and things like that of my courses. But the other day I closed one manually by direct messenger. Uh, when I was having a cup of coffee, I was on my phone and I closed it and I saw the payment coming in. And I was just like, that's the greatest high, man. I love it. And it wasn't much. It's only like a hundred dollars, but it's like that feels so good to do. And I think um, I, I can totally relate. I can't relate to being a billionaire, sadly, but I can relate to that oh, yeah. feeling was when I sold that computer 
when I was like 14 or whatever it was, which was already obsolete, but for like a hundred quid. And I built it from bits of circuit boards to spec and I built it and sold it. And I was like, suddenly this, this vibe that my friends and I had was like, we could build a business and we could be millionaires. It was like a bit of a, you know, we could just take over the world kind of thing. And, And I think, tapping into that is a wonderful thing it's, and it's not just a, it's not a capitalist thing it's just a, a success feeling and that's a good vibe to give your body yeah yeah absolutely so richard i've got a confession for you i've never uh made a, a cold call in my entire life good um, I've, <laughs> well done <laughs> i've i've sent some some cold emails but sure. really the majority of um where i get my money is just from like inbound relationships, mm. referrals, all those different kinds of things. Good. So this, uh, this, this might sound like a an iffy, iffy question. Okay, but like right now, where do you get in the majority of your leads? Is it from LinkedIn? Is it from this? Is it from none of them? And it's just a continuation of everything. Or how do yeah. you, what comes to mind? It's it's a lot of it's referrals. Uh, or everything's inbound though, like that none of it is me pitching as such someone fresh um it's always that's ultimately the best thing right yeah that's that's the holy grail in my opinion um i started a career where i had to knock on a new door every time for someone Mm. to to do business with then you get to a point where you're good and then you're great and then people ask for you and uh, there's a client i'm seeing tomorrow and the ceo asked for me and he said, I'm doing this. I need you. And he got me another client that I'm seeing next week. That, nice. that He said to them, you guys need Richard Moore. The other ones are no good. You're having him. You need to do it. And it's like, that's fantastic. That's like for a lot of the client work. But everything is, is hey, I saw your content. Hey, that thing really mm. resonated literally every day and it might be that they just come at my saying for it is they just come into orbit around you and they might not buy stuff but those people tell other people the algorithm helps them share it with their network or they physically share it with people uh but yeah sometimes you just like you get up in the morning you see on your phone oh i've sold a few units of my course and it's because you did something right and it helped people that is the way um and I think, um, you know, if you can avoid cold calls because that's effective, then good for you. And uh, um, I'm quite happy to not make cold calls again in the future. Having said that, if I did, I would do it in a way where it required a bit of research first. So I knew going in, I can't miss here. I've got reasons why the person's going to want to listen to me. Otherwise, you're just a pest, right? Yeah. So let me ask you, what is what is the methodology behind, you know, in terms of creating different revenue streams, say like a, um, you know, a service-based consulting maybe that requires your time versus something that you create and you sell like a book or a course? Yeah. Um, I think first of all, do one first, get it moving and then move on to the next. Some people try and do so many things at once. Once it's starting to move and shift sales, then you move on to the next one. Um, so, for an example, when I was, built my first course in 2015 called Eight Step Startup, that was the thing. I was doing consulting as well, but that had already been established to create income for the, the household. Um, do beta sales as well. So, like, that course, that was 73 video lessons. I'd done six of them 
and I was already selling it to a warmed up audience saying, you know, buy it for, I think it was like $7 to start just to get the ball rolling. Bear in mind that it doesn't matter what you're selling. Obscurity is your enemy, not the quality of your product. No one knows how rubbish your product is or how good it is because I haven't used it yet. Your problem is no one knows who you are. So get it into people's hands. And a huge bit of advice, I know this is contentious, but a huge bit of advice is dare to give stuff for free or trials because if you're good, or specifically I should say if you're great, then you'll deserve them to buy from you. And all I did to start to get the ball rolling was say, you know what, let me do this. Let me let me let me consult with you for two weeks. Then you blow their mind. All I want in return, good or bad, is a testimonial after two weeks, because uh, then you've got some leverage uh, on your website, or whatever, mm-hmm. and also a phone call to see how it went. And that phone call, you say, how was it? It was amazing. I need you in my world. OK, good. So. Would you like to explore what it would look like if we worked together some more? Yes, please. And then you make them an offer. And if they say no, thanks, well, you don't deserve to keep working with them. So go back and do better. You see what I mean? But there's nothing wrong, wrong with going free or doing trials. Um, you have to hold your breath a bit to start with. But, but I think that is a great idea. But one thing at a time. I now have lots of courses and things like that and high end products and things. But that takes time to build. The other thing I'd add, Mark, is it's worth having what's called a, a value ladder. And what that what that is, is your free content or free consumables, for instance, like your podcast. Then something that's a notch above that, you know, for some people will, will be maybe a dollar or 99 cents or $20. Something, you know, that requires some commitment. That commitment might be an email address to sign up to receive a newsletter, for example, but something small. Then you can work out more and more and more. And then ultimately you have your big $10,000 packages or whatever it might be. Uh, or what mastermind with Mark Mitry, for example, or whatever it might be at the end. But, but having know. that, yeah, but having that um, means that you've got people who, who they consume the, the entry level content. They love the low ticket items and they warm themselves up through your products. And uh, it's important to fill in those gaps as much as you can. But, you know, this takes time. And the game for me last is going to last as long as my life so uh, i'm cool with taking my time doing things right and building but always one thing at a time otherwise you'll get nothing because you're you're spreading yourself too thinly yeah yeah patience is a big thing so richard i'm gonna ask you for some advice and i'm also going to craft it in a way that other people can benefit so for you know new people that are just trying to get in the sales game maybe You've started doing some things on LinkedIn. Maybe they've started to use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. They're using email. They're they're you know they're they're edging their way. They're they're warming up the leads. They're doing this, this, and that. Now, for context, I've basically made all of the money from anything I've ever made in my entire life online. Okay. I've met my I've met a lot of my clients in person, but usually like that sales deal, that pitch is always sorted out through a phone call or online. Sure. Tomorrow, I'm going to meet with potentially my biggest client and the biggest deal that I'll ever close in my entire life to date with a billion dollar corporation. I'm glad you're to meet then, good. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your advice to somebody that's gotten comfortable with the online stuff, yeah. but now it's time for them to take their, their sales pitch, their, their MP, whatever it is mm-hmm. into the real world to, to yeah. close that sale. Yeah. 
So there's a saying, it sounds sexist, so I will make it non-gender specific, but I will give you the saying first. There's a saying which is, research the man, not the company. And there's so mm. much power in that. So research a woman or person, not the company. Most people, when they go on the pitch, they've learned their product. The essence of the deal really is in the connection. I think... I mean, there's lots of studies and things done on this, and I've been a geek of sales for many years. And what's clear is probably two thirds of the reason why someone's going to buy is because they like Mark Mitry. What that means is by a light year, they have to dig you. This isn't stand up comedy or anything like that, but they have to think you're a good dude because then they will lean in either physically or probably emotionally. They will feel receptive. They will want to buy from you. If, you're, if you've warmed them up to a degree and you're going to a meeting, it means there's validation already. But researching the person means you can feel comfortable on a social level, which is important for up here. Because when you get that right, it means you go in emotionally feeling, I kind of know that person already. Mm. So I feel comfortable having this interview, sure, because I know my product, myself and my world, and my philosophy. But also, we've already had a prior connection and I've done research of you and probably the same for you as well. So it felt natural because I know certain things not to talk about because that would probably be really inappropriate and certain things to talk about because actually that's, you know, it will resonate with you. It's little things, you know, especially in 2018, everyone's got an online footprint. Google their name. Do they tweet? Have they vlogged? I remember once engaging with Pip Marlowe. And she's the CEO of Microsoft Australia. Hmm. So $2 billion business. And I found her because I saw that she had this tweet about this thing called Freaky Friday. And in her office in Melbourne, in Australia, no one's allowed in the office on Friday because Microsoft 365 is a cloud product. You should be able to work remotely. So she's proving the point with her own product. And so I had that little angle. And I also saw that she did that ice bucket challenge, you know, the viral thing that happened years back. And so I saw that on Twitter. I saw the, the video and things like that. So I was armed with this information and it broke barriers so well because I was able to talk about them. And it's those moments, Mark, when you first go in the office and you shake their hand and you say, you know, I, lo I, I loved your, you know, the ice bucket challenge you did. I know you did. I know it was for years, but I saw that. And like, oh, you saw that. So, uh, you know, and, and something like that. So you can connect on the human social part. The rest you know off by heart, my man. And obviously, you, I could say things like make sure you listen or take notes or show empathy. It's obvious that stuff, but yeah. you'll only do it if your um, your old brain, the instinctive, panicky part of our brains, the the worrying part, is appeased. And the chimp, prep, the chimp paradox part, uh, book you could read about this is a bit late for that for tomorrow. But the the, the, the idea is if you can appease the animal that instinctively is going to worry or feel about rejection, all the good stuff will feel like it can come out. Do you see what I mean? So it's creating that platform to feel enabled. And the best way to do that is feel comfortable about the person. You have no problem speaking to your family because you know them with familiarity. So breed a bit of intense speed dating style familiarity by researching them. Don't overstalk. You don't want to go in and go, oh, I saw that your daughter just finished that school play yesterday. <laughs> How did that go? It might go out of my office. So don't overdo it, you know, but um, I'll leave the discretion to you. Uh, but but uh, that kind of research 
is everything. The pitches where I in the past have had to go to someone completely cold, where it's been set up, not even on the phone or anything, email, yes, you can come in and meet me. I've researched the man. I've seen I've done a few things. And if, if they've shared that stuff publicly, it's cool for you to, to bring it up. And it just softens them. Remember that even a billionaire will have even a tiny degree of like, oh, who's this guy? A bit of apprehension because because deep down we're humans and we worry about how people are. So appease them too by breaking the ice. Be, you know, be an open person and that will help the deal. If it's going to be a deal, that's the major driver without question. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. It helps a lot, man. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Richard. You're um, so Richard, uh, just out of curiosity, what are your favorite, um, books maybe people that you learn from on business sales leadership the kind of stuff that you're into yeah there's there's two right now um uh that um have consumed me for a couple of years uh that i have to mention if people haven't engaged with these people then they must the first if you're in if you want to work on the warming people up marketing approach that we've kind of touched on today it's seth godin without a question yes he, he is uh the thinking man's gary very vaynerchuk so if you think about <laughs> Jeff, things like that he is the one who gives you the science and enables you in the right way and and i think that you know he's done 19 best-selling books and there's a reason yeah. for it if you read tribes the icarus Detec- uh, deception uh the dip uh, and lean in i think not lean in um uh oh i can't remember the other one but, but books like by by seth Gordon, it's a very powerful way to get yourself feeling ah okay i've got the right attitude and i know the perspective i need on on selling and marketing the other person is a specific book i recommend um by a guy called mark mccormack uh so he founded um IMG, the uh, sports agency, so like um, Jack Nicholas and people like that. So, mm. And um, he went to Harvard Business School and he wrote a book, one of my favorite books up there somewhere, called What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business mm. School. And it's the soft stuff. Mm. So there's all the models and the theories that you learn at business school, but then this is the, here's what it really means when you shake someone's hand. And here's, it's like the manual for business and it's this thick but you read it in the time it takes to rebuild that fast because it's so like a page turner of value i think there are there's probably less pages with the corner folded over than there are ones that there are because it's just so much value in there those two authors stand out exceptionally and i i dip back into them all the time and the other thing because i think it's worth sharing is is my favorite book because it's most been the most impactful in my life and i think i first found it like seven or eight years ago uh which is actually a philosophy book by a guy called seneca called on the shortness mm. of life i'm gonna get it goes a bit touchy-feely but the point is that reading that book will give you a perspective on what you're doing that will make you want to finish reading the chapter and get the hell on with stuff because you realize that time is something not to be mucked about with no book's ever been so powerful as that. And that's there's a, obviously that's why it stood the test of time for thousands of years. If you mm. own one book and it's like a Penguin classic, it's like this big, this thin, get it for a pound secondhand on Amazon, is the book. And I would dip in it every single month, even if I read for a minute, I will just refresh on it. And I think perspective, you know, some people haven't had bad things happen to them, so they don't necessarily have it as much, but it gives you that clarity. 
but that combined with for instance if you lose a family member or bad stuff has happened that adversity it's very very important because if you don't have the motivation as we mentioned before then you won't give it the mm. gravity it requires combine those three you don't really need much else of the library and so uh yeah i hope that helps that's what i would be consuming i i, I did you yeah. think i was going to be saying um you know uh grant cardone and, and things like that <laughs> i no i i, I would have thought you mentioned something like um like a think and grow rich or like sell your way through life by yeah uh, I, I, I've, I've, I, i'm a big reader i have been for years and i every day i at least touch a new book um and I've gone through those kind of things too. And I just think these ones matter. And especially in the time we're in now, Seth Godin's a real go-to for this kind of thing because it, yeah. it, it's timeless, but it really resonates with 2018 and what, what we can really do with the platforms such as LinkedIn, as, as you and I both know. Yeah, absolutely. And Seth's got a new book tomorrow or not in tomorrow next month probably yeah. by the time this podcast live it'll be already about called uh this is marketing and it's just that's right like the, and the that's going to be that. I, my my feeling is that's going to be the 20th best-selling book he writes i think um i'll certainly contribute to that it's uh it'll be a win for sure because again he's an example there of honing that philosophy over time he's talked enough about it that he's just so on point and you can't help listen or read his books and nod lots you know <laughs> so uh yeah I, i'm looking forward to it too yeah I, re- I read the entire thing and there wasn't a single page that i didn't get something out of which is pretty hard to do in like a pretty you know sizable book but um but anyway richard where where can people learn more about you we'll have your website we'll have all your social media handles below for people to check it out cool. but is there anything specific that you want people to to check out right now uh, I think right now uh, a really good space for me is the uh, is LinkedIn. So um, uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Richard James Moore, uh, but also my hub where you can find all of the links to everything or email me directly is vrichardmore.com uh, and you can catch me there. And if you scroll down, you've got all of the different platforms rather than me sit here reeling off every single handle. Uh, it's a little easier. Yeah. But yeah, happy. I, I think the other thing as well is um, – I would love it if anyone uh, has the chance to tune in on a Monday. We have the uh, the live shows. Uh, next week is my birthday on Monday. Uh, and it is episode... Thank you so much. And it's episode 115. Um, so it's 115 weeks we've been doing it now. So, you know, much like you, it's like we've been doing it a similar amount of time, I think we worked out. And, um, uh, hey, it's just consistency, but it's nice to show up every week. And if anyone has any questions, it's on Insta. Uh, YouTube and Facebook streaming. Uh, so I, that's one of my favorite times of the week is 1 p.m. London time. Amazing. Amazing, Richard. So at the very end of each podcast, I'd like to request that my guests leave the audience with a self-inquisitive question, a question that they can kind of ask themselves throughout the day. And Richard, I'd love it if you could ask my audience a question. I was thinking about this in the moments when in between talking today, because uh, you threw this at me at the start. Um, if you if you could produce only one piece of content, then what would it be? Jesus. And wow. arguably that arguably that's an attitude for every piece of content, right? But if you could only do one, mm. then what would it be? If you haven't considered that, then that's something to think about. Wow, that's so powerful. Richard, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. The show's thank called you. Humans 2.0. You without our Human 2.0, my friend. Uh, I hope everyone out there listening benefited this from this as much as possible. I don't want to leave on any stronger note than that, man. 
Thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Metric. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry, or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode, and I'll be sure to get in touch with you. And if you really, really love the podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get this Humans 2.0 grassroots movement going. Woo! Get out there and do something impactful today.